And good afternoon. It's 4 o'clock. Thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located here in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. This is Finding a Voice, spoken word program airing here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. Coming up on the show today, it's uh, um, going to be a bit different. I'm actually recording a bunch of old work, actually. Uh, In both hours today, I'll be playing uh, poems from uh, 34 poets uh, off the four-disc set called Poetry on Record. 98 poets read their work, and then uh, uh, in years, it was from 1888 to 2006. And it was, this isn't remastered or anything. This was, uh, they were just pulled from uh, recordings in their own time. So uh, in the first hour, I think I may have pulled one of these people. Let me see here, just because uh, it wasn't working out for time. Uh, Let's just say I think we're going to do these uh, in the first hour. And I'll explain, uh, because I think the one I pulled might be in the second hour. No, in fact, I can tell you, I'm pretty sure this is going to be exact. The only thing that will happen is if I run out of time, I've got got a fairly tight show here. So uh, we'll see how it works out. But hopefully I'm going to be playing uh, readings by A.R. Ammons, uh, Ann Sexton, uh, David Ignato. Denise Leverton, Levertoff, I'm sorry, Dylan Thomas, Hayden Carruth, uh, Jack Kerouac, James Wright, John Ashbery, John Berryman, Lisa Mueller, Muriel Rukeyser, uh, Richard Wilbur, Robert Hayden, Robert Lowell, and William Meredith. And that's in the first hour. In the second hour, you're going to hear readings by Carolyn Fauché, Elise Passion, Elizabeth Alexander, James Tate, Joy Harjo, Juan Philippe Herrera, uh, Lee Young Lee, Lucy Padahanso, Louise Rodriguez, Marilyn Chin, Pedro Pietri, Peter Belikian, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing any of these names. Rita Dove, I, share, I think, and Rita Dove, and I think that's the last I'm going to get to in that hour. So uh, this first, though, just the usual hourly announcement that uh, occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. Uh, Again, I'll be playing uh, poems uh, from 34 poets, uh, there are uh, they're either readings or uh, performances. A few There are a few performances in here as well. Again, off the four-disc set uh, called uh, Poetry on Record, 98 Poets Read Their Work, 1888 to 2006. And uh, that was I'm quite sure that this was put out uh, by uh, Universal... Music Canada, I'm quite certain of that. So, or at least uh, the, the, this might have been done by more than one uh, record-producing company, but this is what I have. And uh, 
Most of these were go are going to be grouped in a group of two. So up first, here are A.R. Amons and Anne Sexton. This next poem is my wife's favorite, or I guess her favorite of my poems. I call it Still, and she, she insists that it should be called The Lowly, and I think she's right. Still. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> the lowly. <clears throat> I said I will find what is lowly and put the roots of my identity down there. Each day I'll wake up and find the lowly nearby, a handy focus and reminder a ready measure of my significance, the voice by which I would be heard, the wills, the kinds of selfishness I could freely adopt as my own. But though I have looked everywhere, I can find nothing to give myself to. Everything is magnificent with existence, is in surfeit of glory. Nothing is diminished Nothing has been diminished for me. I said, what is more lowly than the grass? Ah, underneath a ground crust of dry burnt moss. I looked at it closely and said, this can be my habitat. But nestling in, I found below the brown exterior green mechanisms beyond intellect awaiting resurrection and rain. So I got up and ran, saying, there is nothing lowly in the universe. I found a beggar. He had stumps for legs. Nobody was paying him any attention. Everybody went on by. I nestled in and found his life. There, love shook his body like a devastation. I said, though I have looked everywhere, I can find nothing lowly in the universe. I whirled through transfigurations up and down, transfigurations of size and shape and place. At one sudden point, came still, stood in wonder. Moss, beggar, weed, tick, pine, self, magnificent with being. All my pretty ones. Father, this year's jinx rides us apart where you followed our mother to her cold slumber, a second shock boiling its stone to your heart, leaving me here to shuffle and disencumber you from the residence you could not afford. A gold key, your half of a woolen mill, 20 suits from Dunn's, an English Ford, the love and legal verbiage of another will, boxes of pictures of people I do not know. I touch their cardboard faces. They must go. But the eyes as thick as wood in this album hold me. I stop here, where a small boy waits in a ruffled dress for someone to come, for this soldier who holds his bugle like a toy or for this velvet lady who cannot smile. Is this your father's father, 
this Commodore in a mailman suit. My father, time, meanwhile, has made it unimportant who you are looking for. I'll never know what these faces are all about. I lock them into their book and throw them out. This is the yellow scrapbook that you began the year I was born, as crackling now and wrinkly as tobacco leaves, clippings where Hoover outran the Democrats, wiggling his dry finger at me and prohibition, news where the Hindenburg went down and recent years where you went flush on war. This year, solvent but sick, you meant to marry that pretty widow in a one-month rush. But before you had that second chance, I cried on your fat shoulder. Three days later, you died. These are the snapshots of marriage stopped in places. Side by side at the rail toward Nassau now, here with the winner's cup at the speedboat races, here by our kennel of dogs with their pink eyes running like showbred pigs in their chain-link pen. Here, at the horse show where my sister wins the prize, and here, standing like a duke among groups of men. Now I fold you down, my drunkard, my navigator, my first lost keeper to love or look at later. I hold a five-year diary that my mother kept for three years, telling all she does not say of your alcoholic tendency. You overslept, she writes. My God, Father, each Christmas day with your blood will I drink down your glass of wine. The diary of your hurly-burly years goes to my shelf to wait for my age to pass. Only in this hoarded span will love persevere. Whether you are pretty or not, I outlive you. Bend down my strange face to yours and forgive you. For my lover returning to his wife. She is all there. She was carefully melted down for you and cast up from your childhood, cast up from your 100 favorite Aggies. She has always been there, my darling. She is, in fact, exquisite. Fireworks in the dull middle of February and as real as a cast iron pot. Let's face it, I have been momentary, a luxury. A bright red sloop in the harbor, my hair rising like smoke from the car window. Little neck clams out of season. She is more than that. She is your have to have has grown you your practical, your tropical growth. This is not an experiment. She is all harmony. She sees to the oars and oarlocks for the dinghy, has placed wildflowers at the window at breakfast, sat by the potter's wheel at midday, set forth three children on the moon, three cherubs drawn by Michelangelo, done this with her legs spread out in the terrible months in the chapel. If you glance up, the children are there. 
I delicate balloons rising on the ceiling. She has also carried each one down the hall after supper, their heads privately bent, two legs protesting person to person, her face flushed with a song in their little sleep. I give you back your heart. I give you permission for the fuse inside her throbbing angrily in the dirt, for the bitch in her and the burying of her wound, for the burying of her small red wound alive, the pale flickering flare under her ribs, for the drunken sailor who waits in her left pulse, for the mother's knee, for the stockings, for the garter belt, for the call. A curious call when you will burrow in arms and breasts and target the orange ribbon in her hair and answer the call the curious call she is so naked and singular she is the sum of yourself and your dream climb her like a monument step after step she is solid as for me, I'm a watercolor. I wash off. And you just heard a poem by A.R. Ammons and two by N. Sexton. Again, these are from Poetry on Record, 98 Poets. Read their work from 1888 to 2006. Uh, up next... Uh, here are David Ignato, it might be Ignatow, and uh, Denise Levertov. The world is so difficult to give up, tied to it by small things, my eyes noting movement, color, and form. I am watching, unable to leave, for something is happening, and so I stand in a shower of rain or under a hot sun, worn out with looking. This is the solution to be happy with slaughter, to be confident in theft, to be warm and loving in deception, to be aesthetically pleased with unhappiness and in agreement to lie down in the blood of our innocence. Here I am with mic in hand, shooting down the rapids in my business suit, broadcasting to the world my sensations as I near my death. Occasionally, you'll hear me blubber a wave, having pl knocked against my mouth. But it all gets said, though when I plunge over the falls, the force of it will knock the mic out of my hand. In the meantime, I keep my head, reporting myself in fear, fright and elation at the experience I could have only by shortening my life. I'm enjoying it all. I killed a fly and laid my weapon next to it as one lays the weapon of a dead hero beside his body. The fly that tried to mount the window to its top that was born out of a swamp to die in a bold effort beyond itself. And I am the one who brought it to an end. Tired of the day, and with night coming on, I lay my body down beside the fly. What about dying? I describe it happening to keep my senses occupied with living. 
The poetry of my death is inexhaustible, like life. I have lived to find out the sun also will die. I will die first, and in time I will have a companion. Ignato is dying, and so is the sun. I live with my contradictions intact, seeking transcendence but loving bread. I shrug at both, and from behind the summer screen I look out upon the dark, knowing death as one form of transcendence, but so is life. She grew old. She made ready to die. She gave counsel to women and men, to young girls and young boys. She remembered her griefs. She remembered her happinesses. She watered the garden. She accused herself. She forgave herself. She learned new fragments of wisdom. She forgot old fragments of wisdom. She abandoned certain angers. She gave away gold and precious stones. She counted over her handkerchiefs of fine lawn. She continued to laugh on some days, to cry on others, unfolding the design of her identity. She practiced the songs she knew, her voice gone out of tune, but the breathing pattern perfected. She told her sons and daughters she was ready. She maintained her readiness. She grew very old. She watched the generations increase. She watched the passing of seasons and years. She did not die. She did not die, but lies half speechless, incontinent, aching in body, wandering in mind in a hospital room. A plastic tube taped to her nose disappears into one nostril. Plastic tubes are attached to veins in her arms. Her urine runs through a tube into a bottle under the bed. On her back and ankles are black sores. The black sores are parts of her that have died. The beat of her heart is steady. She is not whole. She made ready to die. She prayed. She made her peace. She read daily from the lectionary. She tended the green garden she had made. She fought off the destroying ants. She watered the plants daily and took note of their blossoming. She gave sustenance to the needy. She prepared her life for the hour of death. But the hour has passed and she has not died. O oh, Lord of mysteries, how beautiful is sudden death when the spirit vanishes boldly and without casting a single shadowy feather of hesitation onto the felled body. O oh, Lord of mysteries, how baffling, how clueless is laggard death disregarding all that is set before it in the dignity of welcome. O 
laggard death that steals insignificant patches of flesh, laggard death that shuffles past the open gate, past the open hand, past the open, ancient, courteously waiting life. And you just heard a, a poem by, uh, or I'm sorry, it was five short poems by uh, David Ignato, and then a uh, poem by Denise Levertov. These again from Poetry on Record, 98 Poets Read Their Work. Up next, here are Dylan Thomas and uh, Hayden Carruth. And death shall have no dominion. Dead men naked, they shall be one with the man in the wind and the west moon. When their bones are picked clean and the clean bones gone, they shall have stars at elbow and foot. Though they go mad, they shall be sane. Though they sink through the sea, they shall rise again. Though lovers be lost, love shall not. And death shall have no dominion. And death shall have no dominion. Under the windings of the sea, they lying long shall not die windily. Twisting on racks when sinews give way, strapped to a wheel, yet they shall not break. Faith in their hand shall snap in two, and the unicorn evils run them through. Split all ends up, they shan't crack. And death shall have no dominion. And death shall have no dominion. No more may gulls cry at their ears, or waves break loud on the seashores. Where blue a flower may a flower no more lift its head to the blows of the rain. Though they be mad and dead as nails, Heads of the characters hammer through daisies. Break in the sun till the sun breaks down. And death shall have no dominion. The tombstone told when she died. Her two surnames stopped me still. A virgin married at rest. She married in this pouring place that I struck one day by luck. Before I heard in my mother's side or saw in the looking glass shell the rain through her cold heart speak and the sun killed in her face. More the thick stone cannot tell. Before she lay on a stranger's bed with a hand plunged through her hair, or that rainy tongue beat back through the devilish years and innocent deaths to the room of a secret child. Among men later I heard it said, she cried her white-dressed limbs were bare and her red lips were kissed black. She wept in her pain and made mouths, talked and tore, though her eyes smiled. 
I who saw in a hurried film death and this mad heroine meet once on a mortal wall, heard her speak through the chipped beak of the stone bird guarding her. I died before bedtime came, but my womb was bellowing, and I felt with my bare fall a blazing red harsh head tear up and the dear floods of his hair. I'll read this poem because many people like it. It's called Ray, and it's a kind of a, of a elegy for my friend Ray, Raymond Carver, who uh, was the fiction writer, and also a poet. He was a, a, a pretty good poet, and uh, he died five, six, seven years ago, and was a difficult death for me to take, although I've had to take quite a few in the latter part of my life. And I wrote this poem called Ray. How many guys are sitting at their kitchen tables right now, 1.30 in the morning, this same time eating a piece of pie? That's what I wondered, a big piece of pie, because I'd just finished reading Ray's last book. Not good pie, not like my mother or my wife could have made, but an ordinary pie I'd just bought being alone at the Topps Market two hours ago. And how many had water in their eyes? Because of Ray's book, and especially those last poems written after he knew. The one about the doctor telling him. The one where he and Tess go down to Reno to get married before it happens and shoot some craps on the dark bay's tables. The one called Afterglow, about the little light in the sky after the sun sets. I can just hear him if he were still here and this were somebody else's book saying, Jesus, saying, this is the saddest son of a bitch of a book I've read in a long time, saying a real long time. And the thing is, he knew we'd be saying this about his book. He could just hear us saying it. And in some part, he was glad. He really was. What crazies we writers are, our heads full of language like buckets of minnows standing in the moonlight on a dock. Ray was a good writer, a wonderful writer, and his poems are good, most of them, and they made me cry here at my kitchen table with my head down, me, a 67-year-old galoot, an old fool, because all old men are fools, they have to be, shoveling big jagged chunks of that ordinary pie into my mouth and the water falling from my eyes onto the pie, the plate, my hand, little speckles shining in the light, brightening the colors. And I ate that goddamn pie and it tasted good to me. And you just heard... Two poems by Dylan Thomas and a poem by Hayden Carruth uh, from, again, the four-disc set uh, Poetry on Record. Ninety-eight poets read their work uh, from 1888 to 2006. Up next, uh, you're going to hear Jack Kerouac and James Wright. In my medicine cabinet... The winter fly has died of old age. 
might have the wrong track there. Let me see where I'm at here. Nope, that should be it. Let's go ahead and try it again. I'm so sorry. I remembered it starting differently. Here we go. Jack Kerouac is up first, and then James Wright. Well, here I am, 2 p.m. What day is it? The tree looks like a dog barking at heaven. Prayer beads on the holy book, my knees are cold. In the morning frost, the cats step slowly. No telegram today, only more leaves fell. Castle of the Gandharvas is full of aging young couples. Early morning yellow flowers, thinking about the drunkards of Mexico. National scene, late afternoon sun in those trees. Nightfall, boy smashing dandelions with a stick. Holding up my purring cat to the moon, I sighed. August moon, oh, I got a boil on my thigh. Drunk as a hoot owl, writing letters by thunderstorm. Drunk as a hoot owl, writing letters by thunderstorm. 
wearing a hat that wasn't on my head. Beautiful young girls running up the library steps with shorts on. Crossing the football field, coming home from work, the lonely businessman. Useless, useless, heavy rain driving into the sea. After the shower, among the drenched roses, the bird thrashing in the bath. itself from the roof by a self-shat thread. Snap your finger. Stop the world. Rain falls harder. Nightfall, too dark to read the page, too cold. A blessing. Just off the highway to Rochester, Minnesota, twilight bound softly forth on the grass and the eyes of those two Indian ponies darken with kindness. They have come gladly out of the willows to welcome my friend and me. We step over the barbed wire into the pasture where they have been grazing all day alone. They ripple tensely they can hardly contain their happiness that we have come. They bow shyly as wet swans. They love each other. There is no loneliness like theirs. At home once more, they begin munching the young tufts of spring in the darkness. I would like to hold the slenderer one in my arms, for she has walked over to me and nuzzled my left hand. She is black and white. Her mane falls wild on her forehead, and the light breeze moves me to caress her long ear that is delicate as the skin over a girl's wrist. Suddenly, I realize that if I stepped out of my body, I would break into blossom.
And you just heard a series of haiku first by Jack Kerouac and then a poem by James Wright, again from Poetry on Record uh, for a disc set uh, that I've mentioned several times. I'll probably quit doing it every time uh, I play a, a short set here. So tell you what I will do right now, though. I should uh, do this, and then I'll be right back. Friday evenings at 6 p.m. here on CFRC, listen to Saltwater Music, a show covering all musical genres from the East Coast of Canada. Celtic, of course, but also rock, jazz, blues, folk, and a lot more. I'm your host, Rob Carnell. Tune in to Saltwater Music Friday evening from 6 to 8 here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Or you can catch us on the web at www.cfrc.ca. And for our listeners out east, that's 7 p.m. Atlantic and 7.30 Newfoundland. Since 1922, CFRC Radio has been the canvassing and community radio station for Queens and Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is both listener-supported and listener-created radio, bringing both music and spoken word content to our community on 101.9 FM and around the world on cfrc.ca. Support locally created media. Learn more at cfrc.ca. Folk Everything, every Saturday morning from 10 till noon on CFRC. Traditional folk, modern folk, future folk, and strange deviations from the norm. Hear the legacy of folk music and discover new favorites and forgotten classics on Folk Everything. Join me every Saturday morning at 10 for a romp through folk culture here on CFRC. It says red to James, that's a fine motorbike. I mean, if there's a listener-supported radio station, you're, it means that people can get daily, every day, a different way of looking at the world, not just what the corporate media want you to see, but a different picture, a different understanding, but a different picture, a different understanding. Not only can you hear it, but you can participate in it. You can add your own thoughts, you know, and you can learn something and so on. Well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way uh, people become... Uh, human, you know, that's the way you become human participants in a, in a social and political system. And you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. This is, and I'm here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. I do. We do stream, not just I. Uh, this station does stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. And again, in, just in case you've tuned in uh, very late, and or at least now, so welcome if you have, and didn't realize I'm playing uh, poems from uh, 33, I believe, poets off of the four-disc set called Poetry on Record, which, uh, and then it's. 98 poets read their work from 1888 to 2006. And uh, I have been airing them in groups of two, so let's kind of continue with that. Uh, up next, you're going to hear uh, readings uh, by both John Ashbery and John Berryman in that order. My philosophy of life. Just when I thought there wasn't room enough for another thought in my head, I had this great idea, call it a philosophy of life, if you will. 
Briefly, it involved living the way philosophers live according to a set of principles. Okay, but which ones? That was the hardest part, I admit. <laughs> but I had a kind of dark foreknowledge of what it would be like. Everything from eating watermelon or going to the bathroom or just standing on a subway platform lost in thought for a few minutes or worrying about rainforests would be affected or more precisely inflected by my new attitude. I wouldn't be preachy or worry about children and old people except in the general way prescribed by our clockwork universe. Instead, I've sort of let things be what they are while injecting them with a serum of the new moral climate I thought I'd stumbled into as a stranger accidentally presses against a panel and a bookcase slides back, revealing a winding staircase with a greenish light somewhere down below. And he automatically steps inside and the bookcase slides shut as is customary on such occasions. At once a fragrance overwhelms him, not saffron, not lavender, but something in between. He thinks of cushions, like the one his uncle's Boston Bull Terrier used to lie on, watching him quizzically, pointed ear tips folded over. And then the great rush is on. Not a single idea emerges from it. It's enough to disgust you with thought. But then you remember something William James wrote in some book of his you never read. It was fine. It had the fineness, the powder of life dusted over it, by chance, of course, yet still looking for evidence of fingerprints. Someone had handled it even before he formulated it, though the thought was his and his alone. It's fine in summer to visit the seashore. There are lots of little trips to be made. A grove of fledgling aspens welcomes the traveler. Nearby are the public toilets where weary pilgrims have carved their names and addresses and perhaps messages as well, messages to the world as they sat and thought about what they'd do after using the toilet and washing their hands at the sink prior to stepping out into the open again. Had they been coaxed in by principles and were their words philosophy of however crude a sort? I confess I can move no farther along this train of thought. Something's blocking it as so often happens. Something I'm not big enough to see over, or maybe I'm frankly scared. What was the matter with how I acted before? But maybe I can come up with a compromise. I'll let things be what they are, sort of. In the autumn, I'll put up jellies and preserves against the winter, winter cold and futility. And that will be a human thing and intelligent as well. I won't be embarrassed by my friend's dumb remarks or even my own, though admittedly that's the hardest part, as when you are in a crowded theater and something you say riles the spectator in front of you who doesn't even like the idea of two people near him talking together. Well, he's got to be flushed out so the hunters can take a crack at him. <laughs> this thing works both ways, you know. You can't always be worrying about others and keeping track of yourself at the same time. That would be abusive and about as much fun as attending the wedding of two people you don't know. Still, there's a lot of fun to be had in the gaps between ideas. That's what they're made for. Now, I want you to go out there and enjoy yourself, and yes, enjoy your philosophy of life, too. They don't come along every day. Look out, there's a big one. <laughs> Thank you. 
The high ones die, die, they die. You look up and who's there? Easy, easy, Mr. Bones. I is on your side. I smell your grief. I send my grief away. I cannot care forever. With them all again and again, I died and cried and I have to live. Now there you exaggerate, sir. We have to die. That is our appointed task. Love and die. Yes, that makes sense. But what makes sense between them? What if I, roiling and babbling and braining, brood on why and just sat on the fence? I doubt you did or do. The choice is lost. It's fool's gold. But I go in for that. The boy and the bear looked at each other. Man always tossed and lost with groin wounds by the grand bull's cat. William Faulkner's where? Frost being still around. And you just heard a poem each by John Ashbery and John Berryman from uh, Poetry on Record, uh, 98 Poets Read Their Work. From 1888 to 2006. Up next, and I think this might be the one exception where I'm playing three back-to-back. LaSalle Mueller, uh, Richard Wilbur, and Robert Hayden. And up first, here is LaSalle. And it might be Lysel. I'm sorry. Doctor, you say there are no halos around the streetlights in Paris... And what I see is an aberration caused by old age, an affliction. I tell you, it has taken me all my life to arrive at the vision of gas lamps as angels, to soften and blur and finally banish the edges you regret I don't see, to learn that the line I called the horizon does not exist, and sky and water so long apart, are the same state of being. Fifty-four years before I could see Wuhan Cathedral is built of parallel shafts of sun, and now you want to restore my youthful errors, fixed notions of top and bottom, the illusion of three-dimensional space, wisteria separate from the bridge it covers, What can I say to convince you the Houses of Parliament dissolve night after night to become the fluid dream of the Thames? I will not return to a universe of objects that don't know each other, as if islands were not the lost children of one great continent. The world is flux, and light becomes what it touches, becomes water, lilies on water, above and below water, becomes lilac and mauve and yellow and white and cerulean lamps, small fists passing sunlight so quickly to one another that it would take long streaming hair inside my brush to catch it. 
to paint the speed of light. Our weighted shapes, these verticals, burn to mix with air and change our bones, skin, clothes to gases. Doctor, if only you could see how heaven pulls earth into its arms and how infinitely the heart expands to claim this world, blue vapor without end. Love calls us to the things of this world. The eyes open to a cry of pulleys, and spirited from sleep, the astounded soul hangs for a moment bodiless and simple as false dawn. Outside the open window, the morning air is all awash with angels. Some are in bedsheets, some are in blouses, some are in smocks, but truly, there they are. Now they are rising together in calm swells of halcyon feeling, filling whatever they wear with the deep joy of their impersonal breathing. Now they are flying in place, conveying the terrible speed of their omnipresence, moving and staying like white water. And now, of a sudden, they swoon down into so rapt a quiet that nobody seems to be there. The soul shrinks from all that it is about to remember, from the punctual rape of every blessed day, and cries, Oh, let there be nothing on earth but laundry, nothing but rosy hands in the rising steam, and clear dances done in the sight of heaven. Yet, as the sun acknowledges with a warm look the world's hunks and colors, the soul descends once more in bitter love to accept the waking body, saying now in a changed voice as the man yawns and rises, Bring them down from their ruddy gallows. Let there be clean linen for the backs of thieves. Let lovers go fresh and sweet to be undone, and the heaviest nuns walk in a pure floating of dark habits, keeping their difficult balance. Here is a poem that comes uh, directly out of my uh, boyhood in Detroit. It's called Those Winter Sundays. Sundays, too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black cold. Then, with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather, made bank fires blaze. No one ever thanked him. I'd wake and hear the coal splintering breaking. When the rooms were warm, he'd call, and slowly I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house, speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the coal and polish my good shoes as well. What did I know, what did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? And you just heard one poem each by uh, Lissell, I hope I'm saying it right, Mueller, uh, Richard Wilbur, and Robert Hayden uh, from, again, that four-disc uh, set of poetry readings by 98 Poets. Up next, and these, I think, will be the last two poets I'll, uh, I'll be able to get in this hour. Uh, you're going to hear, uh, in this order, Robert Lowell and then William Meredith. Nautilus Islands, Hermit Eris, 
still lives through winter in her Spartan cottage. Her sheep still graze above the sea. Her son's a bishop. Her farmer is first selectman in our village. She's in her dotage. Thirsting for the hierarchic privacy of Queen Victoria's century, she buys up all the eyesores facing her shore and lets them fall. The season's ill. We've lost our summer millionaire who seemed to leap from an L.L. Bean catalog. <laughs> His nine knot yawl was auctioned off to lobstermen. A red fox stain covers Blue Hill. And now our fairy decorator brightens his shop for fall. His fishnets filled with orange cork, orange is cobbler's bench and all. There is no money in his work, he'd rather marry. One dark night, my Tudor Ford climbed the hill skull. I watched for love cars, lights turned down, they lay together hull to hull where the graveyard shelves on the town. My mind's not right. A car radio bleats, love, oh careless love. I hear my ill spirit sob in each blood cell as if my hand were at its throat. I myself am hell, nobody's here. Only skunks that search in the moonlight for a bite to eat. They marched on their souls up Main Street. White stripes, moonstruck eyes, red fire, under the chalk, dry and spar, spire of the Trinitarian Church. I stand on top of our back steps and breathe the rich air. A mother skunk with her column of kittens swills the garbage pail. She jabs her wedge head in a cup of sour cream, drops her ostrich tail and will not scare. It was now early spring, and the river was swollen and turbulent. Great cakes of floating ice were swinging heavily to and fro in the turbid waters. Owing to a peculiar form of the shore on the Kentucky side, the land bending far out into the water, the ice had been lodged and detained in great quantities, and the narrow channel which swept round the bend was full of ice, piled one cake over another, thus forming a temporary barrier to the descending ice, which lodged and formed a great undulating raft. Eliza stood for a moment, contemplating this unfavorable aspect of things. Crossing over. That's what love is like. The whole river is melting. We skim along in great peril, having to move faster than ice goes under and still find foothold in the soft flow. We are one another's flow. Each displaces the weight of his own need. I am fat as a bloodhound. Hold me up. I won't hurt you. Though I bay, I would swim with you on my back until the cold seeped into my heart. We are committed. We are going across this river willy-nilly. No one, black or white, is free in Kentucky. Old gravity owns everybody. We're weighty. 
I contemplate this unfavorable aspect of things. Where is something solid? Only you and me. Has anyone ever been to Ohio? Do the people there stand firmly on icebergs? Here, all we have is love, a great undulating raft, melting steadily. We go out on it anyhow. I love you. I love this fool's walk. The thing we have to learn is how to walk light. And you just heard uh, one poem each uh, by uh, Robert Lowell and William Meredith. Again, this is from, uh, and I will give the full title this time, Poetry on Record, 98 Poets Read Their Work from 18, and these were poets from 1888 to 2006. Uh, get into a little bit later uh, work in the second hour, so I hope you can stay tuned uh, for that. I uh, will start to kind of close out this hour, but then I might have a minute or two uh, for, uh, I think probably just calls for submissions, but we'll see if we get into uh, upcoming events. I think I'll have a few minutes at the end of the second hour for that as well. But I want to just let you know you are and have been listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. My name is Bruce, and here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. Uh, again, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to the first hour today. And if you stay tuned for the second, uh, uh, more, uh, more poets from the same tracks of recordings. But again, uh, I most... Uh, all, all of these were off of disc two, and all of, and I'm guessing they might be somewhat chronological. The four discs, uh, all of the readings in the second hour uh, will be off of that uh, fourth CD. So a little more current. I'm guessing probably like from I don't know, perhaps the seven or more like maybe the 80s and into the early 2000s. We'll see. Uh, you may know more than I do. I'm not familiar with a few of these uh, poets other than the work that I have here. So I just want to mention, too, that each hour of this show each week is uploaded to my blog space for it shortly after I get home. And you can find it at finding a voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. Uh, we'll remain there for four years. Uh, the one uh, call for submission that you might want to pay attention to if you're a uh, uh, youth or very young adult, uh, it's from Juvenus, and they're, they're working on their a number of events they're going to be putting on uh, later this, uh, this very late spring. Uh, so they're, they've got a call for submissions uh, for plays. Uh, what they're looking for are playwrights uh, to uh, offer three original plays but I think they're also doing performances as well you know what you should just go check out their uh, they do have a Facebook page uh, so go to their Facebook Juvenus uh, the uh, festival uh, I think it might be called Juvenus Festival 2020 uh, their, the title of their one event is Juvenus Festival 2020 Play Series, and uh, that will also tie you in to all of their links. So please do check that out if you're at all interested. Tomorrow 
evening, or actually tomorrow at midnight. Uh, is tomorrow? No, Sunday at midnight. So uh, f- February 9th at 11.59 p.m. is the deadline. So check it out. And uh, looks like it's 5 o'clock, so welcome to the second hour of the show today. Uh, and thanks again for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, and uh, this is Finding a Voice, spoken word programming here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. I'm just juggling some paper here. Sorry if that was a little bit noisy, but I have to get my sheets out so I know what tracks I'm going to be playing off of these uh, because in this well as you say I started in the first hour uh, playing uh, a number of poets off the four disc set called Poetry on Record 98 Poets Read Their Work 1888 to 2006 again I believe that was produced by uh, Universal Music Canada, uh, at least again, uh, that's uh, the collection I have. So, uh, in the second hour, you'll hear readings by uh, Carolyn Fauché, Elise Passion, Elizabeth Alexander, James Tate, Joy Harjo, Juan Philippe Herrera, Lee Young Lee, Lucy Padhanso. Luis Rodriguez, Marilyn Chin, Piet, uh, Pietri, uh, Peter Balakian, Rita Dove, Sharon O. No, that's it. Rita Dove. I'm pretty sure that's the last one. If I have time for a bit more, I will, but I really have some events that I'd like to share as well, and that's a pretty good selection. Uh, you will find this hour... Uh, the work a little more contemporary and I believe maybe more contemporary in even the time frame that they were so uh, I'm just guessing at some of them but some of them I know and the kind of think uh, I've assumed that from that <clears throat> I will mention that uh, the usual hourly announcement, especially since uh, it uh, does, and it might be the only poem in here that it might apply to, but uh, the first poem coming up, uh, let's just say that uh, the usual hourly announcement is that occasionally some poetry, spoken word, and music played on this show may contain strong language. But it's all played in uh, in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. So again, I'll be playing poems from the four disc set called Poetry on Record. Ninety eight poets read their work, and uh, continuing for the most part again with uh, I think of all of these are pairs of poets. So just to you don't have to listen to me. Quite as much, I'm going to bring up uh, two poets at the same time. Uh, up first, you're going to hear work by uh, Carolyn Forche and then Deborah Garrison. And just let me make sure I'm all set up here correctly. Looks like it. Here we go. The Colonel. Part of my education was to have 
meetings and dinners and nice lunches and breakfasts with persons in the army, then and some of them still. What you have heard is true. I was in his house. His wife carried a tray of coffee and sugar. His daughter filed her nails. His son went out for the night. There were daily papers, pet dogs, a pistol on the cushion beside him. The moon swung bare on its black cord over the house. On the television was a cop show. It was in English. Broken bottles were embedded in the walls around the house to scoop the kneecaps from a man's legs or cut his hands to lace. On the windows, there were gratings like those in liquor stores. We had dinner, rack of lamb, wine. A gold bell was on the table for calling the maid. The maid brought green mangoes, salt, a type of bread. I was asked how I enjoyed the country. There was a brief commercial in Spanish. His wife took everything away. There was some talk then of how difficult it had become to govern. The parrot said hello on the terrace. The colonel told it to shut up and pushed himself from the table. My friend said to me with his eyes, say nothing. The colonel returned with a sack as is used to bring groceries home. He spilled many human ears on the table. They were like dried peach halves. There is no other way to say this. He took one of them in his hands, shook it in our faces, dropped it into a water glass. It came alive there. I am tired of fooling around, he said. As for the rights of anyone, tell your people they can go fuck themselves. He swept the ears to the floor with his arm and held the last of his wine in the air. Something for your poetry, no? He said. Some of the ears on the floor caught this scrap of his voice. Some of the ears on the floor were pressed to the ground. Two standards at an This is Deborah Garrison reading my poem, I Saw You Walking. I saw you walking through Newark Penn Station in your shoes of white ash. At the corner of my nervous glance, your dazed passage first forced me away, tracing the crescent birth you'd give a drunk, a lurcher, nuzzling all comers with ill will and his stench. But not this one, not today. One shirt arms sheared clean from the shoulder, the whole bare limb wet with muscle and shining dimly pink, the other full sheathed in cotton, Brooks Brothers type, the cuff yet buttoned at the wrist, a parody of careful dress, preparedness. So you had not rolled up your sleeves yet this morning when your suit jacket, here are the pants, dark gray with subtle stripe, as worn by men like you on ordinary days, and briefcase, you've none, reverse commuter from the pit, with nothing to carry but your life, were torn from you, 
as your life was not. Your face itself seemed to be walking, leading your body north, though the age of the face, blank and ashen, passing forth and away from me, was unclear, the sandy crown of hair powdered white like your feet, but underneath not yet gray, 47, 48, the age of someone's father, and I trembled for your luck, for your broad, dusted back, half-shirted, walking away. I should have dropped to my knees to thank God you were alive, oh my God, in whom I don't believe. And you just heard a poem each by Carolyn Forche and Deborah Garrison uh, from, again, that uh, four-disc set uh, nine, of 98 poets reading their work. Uh, sorry for the bit of a glitch there. I had gone, uh, looked like, I didn't realize I'd gone one uh, track too far. So up next, here are Elise Passion and uh, Elizabeth Alexander. Two standards at a Native Writers Conference in Norman, Oklahoma. Jones, one-eighth. I'm a quarter. When we walk into Billy's, I want to look like her, full Osage. You wouldn't find an Indian here, she tells me, if not for the conference. And the cigar-chewing driver, shuttling in from the Will Rogers Airport, confides, I never seen so many Indians all in one spot. The bar's packed like a bar should be. Joan shows me off, introducing her friends to a light-haired, East Coast-educated outsider whose mother, Betty Tallchief, is Oklahoma's pride. At that table are some Osages you should meet. They know my relatives in Fairfax, though they come from Pahuska, Pawnee. Angela says the tall chiefs, the keepers of the drum, will host the Osage dances next June. Will you join us? You'll be given your Osage name. Even though my grandmother Tallchief's daughters became famous as ballet dancers, she displayed photographs of my mother and aunt when they were 12, 11, in Osage ceremonial dress, performing at a powwow. My mother said her father's mother taught her those dances. I say when asked, I never wanted to dance, but here in Billy's, with the jukebox repeating the Beatles' twist and shout, all I want is to dance and to adopt my mother's Osage name, Waxe Thunba, two standards. All I want is to return to Oklahoma and answer Angela, yes, though New York City's half a continent away. I am my mother's daughter, two standards, and tonight, forgetting my given name, I will take that ancestral one. This is Elizabeth Alexander. This poem is called, The Female Seer Will Burn Upon This Pyre. Sylvia Plath is setting my hair on rollers made from orange juice cans. The hairdo is shaped like a pyre. My locks are improbably long. A pyramid of lemons somehow balances on the rickety table where we sit in the rented kitchen which smells of singed naps and bergamot. 
Sylvia Plath is surprisingly adept at rolling my unruly hair. She knows to pull it tight. Few words, her flat American belly, her breasts in a twin sweater set, stack of typed poems on her desk, envelopes stamped to go by the door, a freshly baked poppy seed cake, kitchen safety matches, black-eyed Susans in a cobalt jelly jar. She speaks a word, immolate, then a single sentence of prophecy. The hairdo done, the nursery tidy, the floor swept clean of burnt hair and bumblebee husks. And you just heard a, uh, a poem each by Elise Passion and Elizabeth Alexander from, again, that uh, disc of uh, 98 poets, or four-disc set, I should say, of 98 poets. Up uh, next from it, uh, you're going to hear James Tate and Joy Harjo. The Lost Pilot from My Father, 1922 to 1944. Your face did not rot like the others. The co-pilot, for example, I saw him yesterday. His face is corn mush. His wife and daughter, the poor ignorant people, stare as if he will compose soon. He was more wronged than Job. But your face did not rot like the others. It grew dark and hard like ebony. The features progressed in their distinction. If I could cajole you to come back for an evening, down from your compulsive orbiting, I would touch you, read your face, as Dallas, your hoodlum gunner, now with the blistered eyes, reads his braille editions. I would touch your face as a disinterested scholar touches an original page. However frightening, I would discover you, and I would not turn you in. I would not make you face your wife, or Dallas, or the co-pilot, Jim. You could return to your crazy orbiting, and I would not try to fully understand what it means to you. All I know is this. When I see you, as I have seen you at least once every year of my life, spin across the wilds of the sky like a tiny African god, I feel dead. I feel as if I were the residue of a stranger's life, that I should pursue you. My head cocked toward the sky, I cannot get off the ground, and you, passing over again, fast, perfect, and unwilling to tell me that you were doing well, or that it was mistake that placed you in that world and me in this, or that misfortune placed these worlds in us. Once again we lost 
just heard a poem each uh, by uh, James Tate. Make sure I have this right. Yeah. And well, I should say a poem by James Tate and then a performance by uh, Joy Harjov uh, again from that four disc set of poetry readings. Up next in it, here are Juan Philippe Herrera and Lee Young Lee. Thank you. 
I come from a neighborhood where you can see the bay from the kitchen. We kicked a highway patrol out from our barrio and put a Chicano park in its place. Right across the street from La Central, where I would buy tortillas and spy at the tripitas through the butcher's window, noting how they were braided. Imagine, braids on tripitas? I'd walk home, all the way on National Street, to a gray Victorian house next to a Spanish restaurant, the only Mexican joint calling itself Spanish in the whole area. How do you like that? El Porvenir, another tortilleria painted in turquoise, stood out on the corner. I played with my avocado green top. Anyway, I lived in apartment number nine. Every now and then I would go out with Jaime and Miguel Estrada, who knew how to part his hair. He would kick back at the Coronet Theater and look at the cool dude, Pedro Infante and Maria Antonieta Pons and her hot legs while we spilled the salt and popcorn, five cents, on the floor. One time, I darted out into the street, making a liquor truck break every bottle as it slammed on the brakes. I was chasing Sammy Vasquez, the guy who wanted to dance with my girl, Mercedes Gomez, because she chose me and not him as a square dance partner in fifth grade. Yeah. A couple of years later, the city administration cut a freeway right through our barrio. Everything fell apart, vanished. The little houses with a geranium singing soprano and the elastic kids grew transparent overnight. Me and Arnold Leva, Raymond Nieto, Johnny and Eva Estrada would walk out after school across the torn structures and sniff glue in the condemned apartments. Everyone lived in a studio set for a B-movie about the coming of Godzilla, a kind of urban ghost town where Father Rasuda arrived one day to serve his time at Guadalupe Church. He showed us films and, and gave us donuts with chocolate as we sneered and rattled our fancy cold languages. So we went to high school, finally. The silent kids in Mr. Whiteman's class. A stern and lanky crowd at lunchtime talking about Eric Frome, Nietzsche, Zen, and James Brown and his brand new bag. We got into choir, sang in Italian, took auto shop, and ran cross country. By 11th grade, we began to grin, scoping out the moaning phosphorescent tidal wave coming up somewhere near Ocean Beach all the way from Rosarito, Ensenada, Mexicali. So when the police dynasty, the president of the zoo, an ex-Navy general, and the mayor, not to mention the vampire architects, decided to build a station across from La Central, still standing, we were ready. Our little red plastic watch had been ticking since we were seven years old, playing marbles and spinning tops in the sector of the dead. By 67, the sparkling emeralds of the sea were in our hands. And by 70, we laid some of them down, forming a circle in the heart of the wasteland, a simple park. Chicano Park, a reminder to the world that we were on the loose.
My Father in heaven is reading out loud to himself psalms or news. Now he ponders what he's read. No, he is listening for the sound of children in the yard. Was that laughing or crying? So much depends upon the answer, for either he will go on reading or he'll run to save a child's day from grief. As it is in heaven, so it was on earth. Because my father walked the earth with a grave, determined rhythm, my shoulders ached from his gaze. Because my father's shoulders ached from the pulling of oars, my life now moves with a powerful back-and-forth rhythm, nostalgia, speculation. Because he made me recite a book a month, I forget everything as soon as I read it, and knowledge never comes but while I mid-stride a flight of stairs or lost a moment on some avenue. A remarkable disappointment to him, I am like anyone who arrives late in the millennium and is unable to stay to the end of days. The world's beginnings are obscure to me, its outcomes inaccessible. I don't understand the source of starlight or starlight's destinations, and already another year slides out of balance. But I don't disparage scholars. My father was one, and I loved him, who packed his books once and all of our belongings and sat down to await instruction from his God, yes, but also from a radio. At the doorway I watched, and I suddenly knew he was one like me who got my learning under a lintel. He was one of the powerless to whom knowledge came while he sat among suitcases, boxes, old newspapers, string. He did not decide peace or war, home or exile, escape by land or escape by sea. He waited merely, as always someone waits, far, near, here, hereafter, to find out, is it praise or lament hidden in the next moment? And you just heard one poem each by, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Juan Felipe Herrera and Lee Young Lee uh, from, again, Poetry on Record. 98 poets read their work. Up next uh, from it, here are Lucy Parajanso and Luis Rodriguez. Raisin Eyes. I saw my friend Ella with a tall cowboy at the store the other day in Shiprock. Later I asked her, who's that guy anyway? Oh, Lucy, she said, I knew what was coming. It's terrible. He lives with me and my money and my car. But just for a while, he's an AIRCA and rodeos a lot, and I still work. This rodeo business is getting to me, you know, and I'm going to leave him because I think all this I'm doing now will pay off better somewhere else. But I just stay with him, and it's hard because he just smiles that way, you know, and then I end up paying entry fees and putting shiny Tony Llamas on layaway again. It's not hard. But he doesn't know when I'll leave him, and I'll drive across the flat desert from Red Valley in blue morning light straight to Shiprock so easily. 
And anyway, my car is already used to humming a morning song with Gary Stewart complaining again of aching and breaking down and out love affairs. Damn, these Navajo cowboys with raisin eyes and pointed boots are just bad news. But it's so hard to remember that all the time, she said with a little laugh. The Concrete River. We sink into the dust, Baba and me. Beneath brush of prickly leaves, ivy strangling trees, singing our last rites of locura. Homeboys worshiping god fumes out of spray cans. Our backs press up against a corrugated steel fence along the dried banks of a concrete river. Spray painted outpourings on walls offer a chaos of color for the eyes. Home for now, hidden in weeds, furnished with stained mattresses and plastic milk crates. Wood planks thrust into thick branches serves as roof. The door is a torn cloth curtain knocked before entering. Home for now, sandwiched in between the maddening days. We aim spray into paper bags, suckle them, take deep breaths. An echo of steel sounds grates the sky. Home for now, along an urban spawn stream of muck, we gargle in the technicolor synthesized madness. This river, this concrete river, becomes a steaming, bubbling snake of water, pouring over nightmares of wakefulness, pouring out a rush of birds, a flow of clear liquid on a cloudless day. Not like the black oil stains we lie in, not like the factory air engulfing us, not this plastic death in a can. Sun rays dance on the surface, gray fish fidget below the sheen, and us looking like huckleberry fins, Tom Sawyers would stick fishing bows as dew drips off low branches as if it were earth's breast milk. Oh, we should be nobles of our born days. We should be scraping wet dirt with callous toes. We should be flowering petals, playing ball. Soon water fish do wane into a pulsating whiteness. I enter a tunnel circle swimming to a glare of lights. Family and friends beckon me. I want to be there in perpetual dreaming in the din of exquisite screams. I want to know this mother comfort surging through me. I am a sliver of blazing ember entering a womb of brightness. I am a hovering specter shedding scarred flesh. I am a clown sneaking out of a painted mouth in the sky. I am your son, Ama, seeking the security of shadows, fleeing weary eyes, bursting brown behind a sewing machine. I am your brother, the one you threw off rooftops, tore into with rage, the one you visited, a rag of a boy in a hospital bed, ruptured. I am friend of books, prey of cops, lover of the vario women, selling hamburgers burgers and tacos at the P&G burger stand. I welcome this heavy shroud. I want to be buried in it, to be sculptured marble in craftier hands. Soon an electrified hum sinks teeth into brain, then claws surround me, pull at me, back to the dust, to the concrete river. Let me go, to stay entangled in this mesh of barbed serenity, but over me is a face, mouth breathing back life. I feel the gush of air, the pebbles and debris beneath me. Give me the bag, man, I slur. No way, you died, man, Baba said. You stopped breathing and died. I have to go back, you don't understand. I try to get up to reach the sky, all for the lights, for this horror of a sun, to blind me, to entice me, to burn. Come back, 
Let me swing in delight to the haunting now to pierce colors of virgin skies, not here along a concrete river, but there licked by tongues of flame. And you just heard a poem each by uh, Lucy Parajanso and Luis uh, Rodriguez uh, from, again, that uh, four-set CD uh, disc, four-disc CD set, how's that, Uh, of uh, 98 poets. Up next, you're going to hear, and let me double-check the name, yeah, uh, Marilyn Chin and then... Pedro Pietri. And looks like we're set. Here we go. The woman wore a floral apron around her neck. That woman from my mother's village with a sharp cleaver in her hand. She said, what shall we cook tonight? Perhaps the six tiny squid lined up so perfectly on the block. She wiped her hand on the apron, pierced the blade into the first. There was no resistance, no blood, only cartilage, soft as a child's nose. Alas, iota of ink made us wince. Suddenly, the aroma of ginger and scallion fogged our senses, and we absolved her for that moment's barbarism. Then she, an elder of the tribe, without formal headdress, without elegance, deigned to teach the younger about the Asian plight. And although we have traveled far, we must never forget that primal lesson on patience, courage, forbearance, on how to love squid despite squid how to honor the village, the tribe, that floral apron. Puerto Rican obituary. They worked. They were always on time. They were never late. They never spoke back when they were insulted. They worked. They never took days off that were not on the calendar. They never went on strike without permission. They worked 10 days a week and were only paid for five. They worked, they worked, they worked and they died. They died broke, they died owing. They died never knowing what the front entrance of the first national city bank looks like. Juan, Miguel, Milagros, Olga, Manuel, all died yesterday, today, and will die again tomorrow, passing their bill collectors on to the next of kin. All die waiting for the Garden of Eden to open up again under a new management. All die dreaming about America, waking them up in the middle of the night, screaming, Mira, Mira! Your name is on the winning lottery ticket for $100,000. All die hating the grocery stores that sold them make-believe steak and bulletproof rice and beans. All die waiting, dreaming, and hating. Dead Puerto Ricans who never knew they were Puerto Ricans, who never took a coffee break 
from the Ten Commandments to kill, kill, kill the landlords of their crack skulls and communicate with their Latino souls. Juan, Miguel, Milagros, Olga, Manuel, from the nervous breakdown streets where the mice live like millionaires and the people do not live at all, are dead and were never alive. Huang died waiting for his number to hit. Miguel died waiting for the welfare check to come and go and come again. Milagros died waiting for her ten children to grow up and work so she could quit working. Olga died waiting for a $5 raise. Manuel died waiting for his supervisor to drop dead so he could get a promotion. It's a long ride from Spanish Harlem to Long Island Cemetery where they were buried. First the train and then the bus and the cocos for lunch and the flowers that will be stolen when visiting hours are over is very expensive, is very expensive. But they understand, their parents understood, is a long non-profit ride from Spanish Harlem to Long Island Cemetery. Juan, Miguel, Milagros, Olga, Manuel, all died yesterday, today, and will die again tomorrow, dreaming, dreaming about Queens, clean-cut, lily-white neighborhood, Puerto rican scene, $30,000 home, the first spicks on the block, proud to belong to a community of gringos who want them lynched, proud to be a long distance away from the sacred phrase, que pasa? These dreams, these empty dreams from the make-believe bedrooms their parents left them are the after-effects of television programs about the ideal white American family with black maids and Latino janitors who are well-trained to make everyone and their bill collectors laugh at them and the people they represent. Huang died dreaming about a new car. Miguel died dreaming about new anti-poverty programs. Milagros died dreaming about a trip to Puerto Rico. Olga died dreaming about real jewelry. Manuel died dreaming about the Irish sweepstakes. They all died like a hero sandwich dies in the garment district at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Social security number to ashes, union dues to dust. They knew they were born to weep and keep the morticians employed as long as they pledge allegiance to the flag that wants them destroyed. They saw their names listed in the telephone directory of destruction. They were trained to turn the other cheek by newspapers that misspelled mispronounced and misunderstood their names and celebrated when death came and stole their final laundry ticket. And you just heard one poem each by Marilyn Chin and uh, Pedro uh, Pietri. 
Uh, again, from uh, Poetry on Record, 98 poets reading their work. Going to go ahead and pull up one more pair, and I think even after that it's possible I might have time to add one additional. But we'll see how that goes. Uh, but coming up uh, next, you're going to hear uh, Peter Balakian and Rita Dove. The History of Armenia Last night, my grandmother returned in her brown dress, standing on Oriton Parkway, where we used to walk and watch the highway being dug out. She stood against a backdrop of steam hammers and bulldozers, a bag of fruit in her hand, the wind blowing through her eyes. I was running toward her in a drizzle, with the morning paper. When I told her I was hungry, she said, in the grocery store, a man is standing to his ankles in blood. The babies in East Orange have disappeared, maybe eaten by the machinery on this long road. When I asked for my mother, she said, Gone. All gone. The girls went for soda. Maybe the Coke was bad. The candy's sour. This morning, the beds are empty. Water off. Toilets dry. When I went to the garden for squash, only stump was there. When I went to clip parsley, only a hole. We walked past piles of gray cinder and cement trucks. There were no men. She said, Grandpa left in the morning in the dark. He had pants to press for the firemen of East Orange. They called him in the middle of night West Orange was burning. Bloomfield and Newark were gone. One woman carried the arms of her child to East Orange last night and fell on her uncle's stoop. Two boys came with the skin of their legs in their pockets and turned themselves in to local officials. This morning, Sun is red and spreading. If I go to sleep tonight, she said, the ceiling will open and bodies will fall from clouds. Yavri, where is the angel without sword? Yavri, where is the angel without six fingers and a missing leg? The angel with the news that the water will be clear and have fish. Grandpa is pressing pants. They came for him before the birds were up. He left without shoes or tie, shirt or suspenders. It was quiet. The birds, the birds were still sleeping.
Parsley, the cane fields. There is a parrot imitating spring in the palace, its feathers parsley green. Out of the swamp, the cane appears to haunt us, and we cut it down. El General searches for a word. He is all the world there is. Like a parrot imitating spring, we lie down screaming as rain punches through, and we come up green. We cannot speak an R. Out of the swamp, the cane appears, and then the mountain we call in whispers, Catalina. The children gnaw their teeth to arrowheads. There is a parrot imitating spring. El General has found his word, Perahil, who says it lives. He laughs, teeth shining out of the swamp. The cane appears in our dreams, lashed by wind and streaming. And we lie down. For every drop of blood, there is a parrot imitating spring. Out of the swamp, the cane appears. The Palace The word the general's chosen is parsley. It is fall when thoughts turn to love and death. The general thinks of his mother, how she died in the fall, and he planted her walking cane at the grave, and it flowered, each spring stolidly forming four star blossoms. The general pulls on his boots. He stomps to her room in the palace, the one without curtains, the one with a parrot in a brass ring. As he paces, he wonders, who can I kill today? And for a moment, the little knot of screams is still. The parrot, who has traveled all the way from Australia in an ivory cage, is coy as a widow, practicing spring. Ever since the morning, his mother collapsed in the kitchen while baking skull-shaped candies for the day of the dead. The general has hated sweets. He orders pastries brought up for the bird. They arrive dusted with sugar on a bed of lace. The knot in his throat starts to twitch. He sees his boots the first day in battle, splashed with mud and urine, as a soldier falls at his feet, amazed how stupid he looked at the sound of artillery. I never thought it would sing, the soldier said and died. Now the general sees the fields of sugar cane, lashed by rain and streaming. He sees his mother's smile, the teeth nod to arrowheads. He hears the Haitians sing without R's as they swing the great machetes. Catalina, they sing. Catalina, mi madre, mi amor muerte. God knows his mother was no stupid woman. She could roll an R like a queen. Even a parrot can roll an R. In the bare room, the bright feathers arch in a parody of greenery as the last pale crumbs disappear under the blackened tongue. Someone calls out his name in a voice so like his mother's. A startled tear splashes the tip of his right boot. My mother, my love in death, 
The general remembers the tiny green sprigs men of his village wore in their capes to honor the birth of a son. He will order many this time to be killed for a single beautiful word. And you just heard one poem each by Peter Balakian and Rita Dove. Uh, Going to try to get one more in, and this is uh, one poem by Vijay Shishadri. Get the right track up here. Here we go. This is Vijay Shishadri, and this poem is based on an incident much distorted by me from the Mahabharata, which is a Sanskrit epic poem, uh, nine times the volume of the Iliad and the Odyssey combined and it's called The Long Meadow. Near the end of one of the old poems, the son of righteousness, the source of virtue and civility, on whose back the kingdom is carried, as on the back of the tortoise the earth is carried, passes into the next world. The wood is dark, the wood is dark, and on the other side of the wood the sea is shallow, warm, endless. In and around it, there is no threat of life. So little is the atmosphere charged with possibility that he might as well be wading through a flooded basement. He wades for what seems like forever, and never stops to rest in the shade of the metal rain trees, springing out of the water at fixed intervals. Time, though endless, is also short, so he wades on, until he walks out of the sea and into the mountains, where he burns on the windward slopes and freezes in the valleys. After unendurable struggles, he finally arrives at the celestial realm. The god waits there for him. The god invites him to enter. But looking through the glowing portal, he sees on that happy plain not those he thinks wait eagerly for him, his beloved, his brothers, his companions in war and exile, all long since dead and gone, but sitting pretty and enjoying the gorgeous sunset, his cousin and bitter enemy, the cause of that war, that exile, whose arrogance and vicious indolence plunge the world into grief. The god informs him that yes, those he loved have been carried down the river of fire. Their thirst for justice offended the cosmic powers, who are jealous of justice. In their place in the celestial realm, called Alaukika in the ancient texts, the breaker of faith is now glorified. He, at least, acted in keeping with his nature. Who has not felt a little of the despair the Son of Righteousness now feels, staring wildly around him? The God watches, not without compassion and a certain wonder. This is the final illusion, the one to which all the others lead. He has to pierce through it himself, without divine assistance. He will take a long time about it, with only his dog to keep him company, 
the mongrel dog celebrated down the millennia who has waited with him, shivered and burned with him, and never abandoned him to his loneliness. That dog bears a slight resemblance to my dog, a skinny, restless, needy, overprotective mutt who was rescued from a crack house by Suzanne. On weekends, and when I can shake free during the week, I take her to the long meadow in Prospect Park, where dogs are allowed off the leash in the early morning. She's gray-muzzled and old now, but you can't tell that by the way she runs. And you just heard the final uh, reading that I'll air off of... uh Poetry on Record, 98 Poets Read Their Work, and that one was by Vijay uh, Sashadri. And uh, tell you what, uh, let's do this, and I'll be right back. The Kingston Community House for Self-Reliance, widely known as 99 York, has for 30 years been providing a central, low-cost meeting space for groups that allow like-minded people to come together to learn from one another, to share resources and trade skills. The goal of this house is to act as an integral part of the neighborhood in which it is located. On a typical evening, an autism caregiver relief group will be at 99 York, together with a 12-step organization and a transgendered support group, while a social justice and homeschooling group may be booked in the following day. The community house is also available for less official functions, such as barbecues, birthday and office parties, and other social gatherings. We are proud to also serve the Queen's community. For more information, visit 99 York Street in Kingston. Go to www.99york.org, email info at 99york.org, or call 613-542-1136. Shirelli, here on CFRC 101.9, Monday nights at 7. meal for only one dollar now you can get involved in this great cause martha's table is looking for volunteers to help in the kitchen at the drop-in center picking up food or even being a friendly face at fundraising events volunteer orientation is every thursday at 4 30 in the drop-in center and volunteers must be 14 years of age or older you can donate using a credit card through marthastable.ca or you can send your donation by mail cash check or bank draft martha's table 629 princess street 
whether it's volunteering, donating, or anything else that you can offer Martha's Table, visit their website, marthastable.ca. like electro retro ghetto house and techno tune into the hustle with dj bolt every friday night from 11 to midnight get your radio dial to cfrc 101.9 fm and turn up the stereo turn up the stereo up some more all you should have on on friday nights is the hustle only on cfrc 101.9 fm up some more up some more Sorry about that. That kind of snuck in there ahead of time. Let's go ahead and back that up a little bit, and you'll hear that in a couple of minutes. But... uh, what I want to do, and I've run out of time for events, I just want to thank you for tuning in today. Uh, you have been listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM, located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. Uh, my name is uh, Bruce. I'm here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. I want to remind you, like I did in the first hour, that each hour of this show, each week, uh, is uploaded to my blog space for it shortly after I get home. I don't know why these keep bleeding through. Let me see if I can figure out how to get rid of this. Here we go. That'll do it. And there we go. <laughs> uh, they There's supposed to be a block on there, and somehow they've snuck through the door, or uh, maybe I've just done something wrong, which is entirely possible. Anyway, I forgot what I was saying. I think the blog space is at finding a voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com, and uh, both hours will be saved there and uh, will remain there for four years. Uh, Hope you can tune in next week. I think I'm going to be getting into some more local things again. So things are starting to happen and getting recorded. So please stay tuned for two hours of uh, saltwater music, uh, East Coast music, uh, with Rob Carnell right at the top of the hour, right after these two messages that have been dying to get in here. Have a great week, and uh, catch you here next week. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.